Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Luke records, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Christmas is all about celebration, it's all about tradition, and it's all about that dirty D word so much in the church, doctrine. That which we teach as the foundation of our faith. This passage holds so many memories for me in thinking about Christmas time because uh, my favorite memory of Christmas past was always Christmas Eve. Our family would gather in the middle of the afternoon and go to my grandparents' house and, and there 40 plus members of our family and maybe a few friends and neighbors would gather for a, a massive meal of, of gigantic proportions and the nagging of cousin to cousin and uncle to nephews and nieces and you know it was total chaos but it was the best chaos of your life. And the first 25 years of my life that's where I spent Christmas Eve. And it still holds a very uh, um, familiar and, and dear place in my heart. After the meal, we would move into the living room and basically be stacked on top of each other. And like lions waiting for a piece of raw meat, the children would have to be restrained so as not to go after all the gifts that were under the tree. But before the gifts could be opened, my grandfather would take a Bible and either he would read or give it to one of the dads or as the children got older, the children being my generation, um, they would give it to a grandchild and he would say, we want you to read 
the, Christmas, the birth story this year. And in so doing, uh, that's what you did. There was no saying no to reading the birth narrative if you were given the Bible. Because everybody knew Nanny told Paul Paul who to give the Bible to. And that's who was going to do the reading that year. That's the way things worked, right? And that's what happened. So year after year, what would transpire is our family would gather to celebrate. We would sit under the reading of God's word. We would have a prayer And then we would celebrate through the giving and the opening of gifts each and every year. And that formed, in many ways, my thinking and my understanding of tradition and celebration around the Christmas season. Now, fast forward to Christmas present, and I would say one of my favorite Christmas traditions is what you're here about today. Christmas Eve at Life Point. Typically, we hold Christmas Eve on you know, the eve of Christmas in the evening. But today, falling on a Sunday, we're having it in the morning. And one of the things that we've been able to do, this is our longest standing tradition as a church. This is our 14th annual Christmas Eve at LifePoint. And so that holds a special memory for us. And I, I feel like I owe you a confession. You know, I, I know some people have said, well, I know that you know, they, they started that Christmas Eve service because, man, they just really wanted us as a church to, to, to savor and to celebrate that season together as a church. But I had some ulterior motives. When we planted the church, our children were young. And the main thing my wife and I did not want to be doing was driving on Christmas morning. We wanted our kids to open gifts at our house. So we told our parents... We have Christmas Eve services. We won't be able to come till later on Christmas Day. <laughs> Cha-ching! It worked. I am sorry. It had to be done this way. You don't know my mother and my mother-in-law if you think it could have been done easier. Had to use God and the church to get what we needed. And we'll not let them listen to this podcast. I do hope and pray that your Christmas celebration this year is enriched because of your time together with our church family and the celebration. I want to leave you today with hopefully something that will help enrich your celebration this Christmas season. And and here's kind of the big idea of what I want us to look at from this passage. That Christmas promises that God is for us because he sent Jesus to us. You know, we shouldn't let the celebration cause us to miss the one who's the center of that celebration, Christ himself. And what that center should remind us is that of all the things we so often want or are tempted to believe about God, this one thing is true. He is for us because he sent his son to us. And we celebrate in the Christmas year and we understand what it means because of what that son would accomplish in his time on earth. That he would die on the cross. Three days later he would rise from the tomb and ultimately ascend into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father today. And friends, the celebration of Christmas for Christians is informed because of the empty tomb as we travel back across the path of the cross all the way back to the manger you see looking at the manger alone is not enough we must see it 
from the light of the empty tomb to understand what's taking place. And that's how we're able to understand all that God has for us. And we can look at his promises and the signs that he gives to those promises. And we can hold to them because he's already proven and accomplished that he is faithful and true. And that's what we do today when we see that God is for us because he sent Jesus. But so often, so often the Christmas season doesn't necessarily seem like the peace, love, and joy that we hang all around us during the season, right? It might feel a little more like chaos, senselessness, and the melee of craziness to end all crazies. This is why I don't drive into Springfield after mid-November until early January. It's, it's just not worth it to me, you know? It, it's not worth it, and I usually have to go run people down and find them to apologize for something that just took place not too far back on Glenstone itself, Right? I mean, that's so often what characterizes our Christmas celebration more than anything else. Many are worn out simply from the race to get to Christmas, trying to do everything to make it perfect. And the fact of the matter is, when we speak of the Christmas spirit, when, you know, when people are nicer and more generally in a good mood and more gracious to one another, I don't know. I mean, you look around so often at Christmas and you you really can see little more than just the frazzledness of the season and what it's doing to so many. Well, the reason I want to bring that up today is because the setting for this passage that we are in was very much the same as we see what Christmas season does to the culture around us. It was very much no different at Jesus' birth And I want us to see three insights today from Luke's narrative of Jesus' birth that help us to understand but also inform and encourage us in our own celebration of the potency of Christmas. The first insight I want you to see is from the beginning that God's promise reveals His love for us, that Jesus comes to save us. This is how we know that God is for us. Jesus has come to save us. And, and we see this passage opening up with who? Well, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, the ruler extraordinaire and the governor, the ruler of the more local region. Leave it to the government to ruin a perfectly good season of the year, right? Are you going to, have to lighten up with me? Have to lighten up with me a little bit here, okay? Especially in this first point, because I've got a lot of little one-liners that I'm trying to help you with, you know, trying to unwind you a little bit from your driving into Springfield too, right? Well, if you haven't buckled your seatbelt yet today, I'm going to ask you to do that because I'm about to rock some of your worlds. December the 25th is not Jesus' actual date of birth. I know, I just ruined some of your theology, but it's a good ruin because it's an accurate ruin. Actually, Jesus' birth most likely took place much later in the spring. And so if we really want to think about the context of what's taking place in Luke here, maybe we should think more in line of imagining what it might feel like to be in line at 1145 at the post office on April the 15th, wondering if we're going to get to the line in time to get it stamped by midnight. You know what I'm talking about, right? When the government has imposed something to ruin our celebration 
the taxes. Now, I presume that everyone here still believes we ought to pay those. And if not, I don't want to know it because I don't want to be an accomplice to your not. Everyone's frustrated at the government and taking it out on each other, right? April 15th, that's kind of what it's like. Don't get mad at me about this. I see some of you, you're tensing back up. It's okay. There was no Norman Rockwell picture-perfect setting in Luke 2. Do we know who Norman Rockwell is? Some of us maybe. Norman Rockwell was a famous artist who captured settings. He was my mother's fame, uh, uh, most famous or, or favorite, excuse me, uh, artist, and she had his paintings hung around the house. Rather, what's really happening in Luke 2 is Joseph and Mary traveling on a government-mandated road trip. That's what's taking place here. Likely on an old broken-down donkey that they don't know if it will get her all the way there, let alone get them home, right? And so we, we can come to understand a little more of what's going home. They were away from home and great with child. Two things you really don't want to have. You know, you don't travel the last four to six weeks of a pregnancy. And from what I understand, no lady that is in the ninth month of her pregnancy really adores the description of great with child. Right? I mean, like you don't say that to them. And hopefully not so that they can hear it either. And especially if they're headed into a place with a lot of strangers, countless numbers of strangers, in order to celebrate the birth right in front of all of them. That is not the way that the picture comes to your mind, right? And if that's not bad enough, how about this? They're away from home, which means they're out of network. They're going to be paying for this pregnancy for a very long time. Too early? Was that, was that too, too much, too, too soon? Nothing here is social media worthy. The echoes continue, the words continue to echo. Do not post that. Anywhere. I don't care. Do not post that. Delete it, right? And, and if things couldn't get any worse, maybe worst of all, in the throes of her labor with Joseph holding her hand and comforting her uh, and, and trying to coach her, breathe, Mary, breathe, push, Mary, push, breathe, Mary, breathe, push, Mary, push. Mary couldn't even look at Joseph and go, shut up, you did this to me. Some of y'all are going to get that at lunch. <laughs> That's accurate doctrine, friends. I told you. It's about right doctrine. But Christmas was never perfect because of everything that was going on around being perfect. Christmas is perfect because the one who came is perfect. And that's what makes Christmas perfect. Luke's setting for the birth narrative is critical for us in every way for two principal reasons. Number one, the historical validity of it. You know, why would he say Caesar Augustus? Why would he even mention Quirinius? Because these two men were historically notorious for not being known, A, as nice to Christians, let alone wanting anything to do with them or showing them any favor. But the thing that Luke does for us is he grants to us a tethering to the reality of our existence that gives you and I today 
solid foundation for the validity of our faith. This is not a nebulous fairy tale. The birth of Jesus is not some superhero myth that we have conjured up. It is real, it happened, and it happened in a place and in a time that every people who have ever been on the face of the earth have lived within history. It is a historically valid occurrence. Now when you get into the apologetics of understanding how it is that people so often try to refute the Christian faith, The two places they go at is, number one, they go at whether or not Jesus was God or whether he was man. The two principal arguments that they try to divide upon instead of being fully God and fully man. And they go after the validity of God's word. This book has been under attack more and has been scrutinized to more degrees than any other in all of history. And yet it stands. And yet it stands. Why? Well, to a large extent, for the same reason that Luke records when Caesar Augustus required a census and Quirinius was governor. Historical validity. And the second one is this, divine sovereignty. There wasn't anything that these two men who cared nothing about the God of Christians could do about the Son of God coming as a baby. Helpless in a manger. Here he is. You want him? Which obviously you do. Herod wanted him, didn't he? That's why he tried to trick the wise men who would come later into returning through him to tell them where this baby was so he could worship him as well. Yeah, we're smelling what you're saying, Herod. And it's not lining up with what you're claiming. These, friends, are the true context of what's taking place in which Luke writes Jesus is a real person. He was born as a baby in the most unassuming of way and the most, to the most unassuming of people imaginable. He was ancient, promise-fulfilled, age-old prophecies revealed. That's what's taking place in Luke chapter 2. There's no doubt that most in that day missed the moment of God's coming to us. But God would not allow the chaotic nature and the craziness of the moment that, that caused us to miss him for him to dismiss us. You see, what God does is he comes to us by piercing the chaos of life's demand to reach us. You might say, God gets over us that he might get through to us. And that's the truth of Christmas. An imperfect Christmas is likely the absolute, very needed, perfect setting for the celebration. Why? Because the celebration is one for which we stand ever ready for the Christ who has come to fulfill God's plan. He has come to save us. And the heavens declare. And while most missed it, some did not. Because the second insight we see here begins in verse 8. And it finds us in the middle of a field, not the middle of a city where all of the hustle and bustle was taking place. Where all of the people and the things going on were happening. But rather in the middle of a star-lit field. In the middle of absolutely nowhere where most people not only didn't go but didn't care to go where shepherds were tending their flock by night. I want you to see the second insight here. God's promise reveals His plan for us, that He comes to do for us, not to demand from us. 
Look at this. In the dark of night with only the starlight shining, an unlikely group of shepherds had their world rocked with inconceivable glory. We can only imagine, though not in its fullness, what took place at that moment. Because what was a littering of black with stars just smattered everywhere and beautiful and glorious in its own creational right, all of a sudden was completely hidden and overwhelmed by the brilliant glory that appeared to them when the angel appeared to announce the birth of the Christ child. And their world was rocked with an inconceivable glory. Now, it's also for us important to understand that the shepherds were the most unlikely of people because they were the lowest on the socioeconomic strata of society. Nobody cared about shepherds. Why would God? They were the least of all people to receive anything, let alone a special revelation from God. And though they may have been on the fringe of the social order, they were not unknown to God. Did you hear that? Listen, friends. I don't care where you are in your life. I don't care how far that you feel like you have or may presently be from God. You are not beyond the reach of His love and the proclamation of His revelation. That brings hope. That brings peace, that brings love and joy. If the shepherds get it, anybody can have it. That's what's taking place here. God has forgotten no one in his promise of salvation. And the angel's announcement is clear. The baby is the Savior. He is Christ. That title that to them would say he is the fulfillment of every messianic promise of God in the Old Testament is in this baby. He is Christ the Lord. And that's what they were told. And then to bring it around and to confirm it, all of a sudden a multitude of angels appeared as the choir and brought it to a full conclusion, right? They sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men this was no ordinary announcement it was God incarnate God come to save the world listen to what Athanasius Athanasius was a fourth century church father and and theologian in Africa here's how he describes theologically the birth of Jesus he was the maker of man become man that he the ruler of the stars might be nourished at the breast. That he, the bread, might hunger. That he, the fountain, might thirst. That he, the light, might sleep. That he, the way, might be weary by the journey. He became what we are so that he might make us what he is. What a beautiful understanding of what God has done. He came to us not to demand from us, but to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we should not be surprised that he appeared first to shepherds, right? Why? Because he would be the lamb who would become the great 
shepherd. Listen to this prophecy from Micah's Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is the one that we celebrate. And all of our celebration that focuses on Him as our object should be shaping the traditions that we espouse in order to elevate the baby born to us, Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. This is also a tradition that we should oft repeat, friends. Not to do for God, but in His doing for us, to believe And to receive in who he is. Jesus is God come to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Not to demand from us. The third insight I want you to see today is this. God's promise reveals his will for us. An indescribable joy of shared glory. When the angels left. The shepherds thought it would be best for them to leave as well. And they went to see this baby, to see the sign. And it tells us that there they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, just as it had been told to them. And they shared with Mary and Joseph all that had just been revealed to them. All who heard it, it says, wondered. In other words, they marveled in astonishment at what they heard the shepherds saying it. But imagine for a moment how powerful this moment must have been for Mary and Joseph. Who for months had been sitting on something that had they just been sharing it throughout society and culture, all of them would have been wanting to, shall we say, put them in the insane ward. And yet the revelation resonated deep within them that in fact God was true. God was faithful to his promise. What God had revealed to Joseph that Mary she is not or that Joseph Mary is not pregnant from another man but the spirit of God has made her pregnant and this will be God's son that is born. You stay with her, you care for her, you do not know her until this baby is born. After months of ridicule, of being isolated, and and in many ways cut off, Joseph knew God was faithful and true. Mary, who had been revealed in her own heart and mind, knowing what the truth of everything was, but then the facts of her own biology, trying to explain that to people, and how she wouldn't be cast off in society because of what she had obviously done, we can all tell, now had been confirmed. She did believe, and now she would receive the fulfillment of the promise that God is faithful and God is true. Luke records Mary treasured these things in her heart, and God's glory and God's praise continued through these testimonies. You know, friends, nothing stirs awe and wonder for God 
like indescribable joy of shared glory. The testimony, you see, God shares that glory with us and brings joy to our lives. We share through the testimony of our life that glory of God with others in Jesus who is our Savior. And it brings joy to others who hear and believe in Him. This is what we are seeing, friends. This is joy and the joy that we celebrate at Christmas. It's the glory of God that we share when we testify that, that God brings indescribable joy. For the, the shepherds were testifying and then Mary and Joseph were testifying. And it was these words of the truth and the faithfulness of God and the reality of the revelation of the Christ who had been born now. This was the glory of God that had come that was was sharing and multiplying joy to all who heard these testimonies from those who knew. Friends, the Luke or the birth narrative in the Gospel of Luke is not simply a recounting of what took place. Rather, it is a picture. It is a vision of the church gathered every week. Of the glory of God that is beholding in our life because we have believed and received in Jesus and we know Him as our Lord and Savior. And as we share our testimonies with one another of what He's doing in our life and how He's working in us and as the Word is read and as it's sung and as it's prayed and as it's preached, in every manner we are stirring up the same celebration that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and all who heard fell in wonder of on this night. Indescribable joy through shared glory. This is a picture of the church, friends, gathered around the one who is worthy of our worship, who alone is worthy. Christians, gather around Christ to worship Him as our King. Friends, this is the doctrine that holds us, the teaching upon which we ground our faith. In its foundation. Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. He has come to us. To do for us. God loves us. We can know this. And we can share this. To multiply it in the world. Do you know the joy that comes only. From sharing the glory of God through salvation. In Jesus his son. Jesus is our peace with God and our unending joy of life. Christmas promises that God is for us because He sent Jesus to us. Do you know Him? I'll invite the worship team to return. Friends, I want to encourage you today not to allow yourself to go through the remainder of this day simply going through the motions, but to center your celebration on the only one who's worthy, to shape your traditions around Him as the center and the focus of all you do, and to realize that you are not simply complying with the culture to celebrate the season, but you are deepening your articulation of and belief in a doctrine that we hold that holds us you get that it's not just a rote teaching it is truth revealed hold to Christ in all things
because He is holding you. Let's pray.